Welcome to Export Stories, a podcast featuring first-person insights from the wide and sometimes crazy world of U.S. exporting. Your host for Export Stories is Betsy Olam, president of Olam International, a U.S.-based export management company. Betsy has made a 37-year career of developing global sales and distribution for U.S. companies. Like you, she loves great stories. You don't have to be an exporter to enjoy the stories we're going to share with you each month. We're so glad you've joined us. Now, here is Betsy to introduce today's podcast. Hello, bonjour, hola, konnichiwa, ni hao, marhaben, namaste, and shalom. Welcome to Export Stories 2021. I'm your host, Betsy Olam. Thank you for joining us today. This is probably our last podcast for 2021, so it's very special. Um, SMEs, which is the abbreviation that refers to small and medium-sized enterprises, are important contributors to the U.S.'s export economy. They also have to make themselves heard above the voices of their larger global competitors. We're going to talk about this important sector of the U.S. export economy and to help us understand the unique requirements of SMEs is a very special guest and expert. Joining us today is Fred Boehner, publisher of IB Newsmag and co-founder of Intermark 3 Inc. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by IBG Global LLC. Hello. My name is Peter Sanders, the IBG Global LLC partner handling the Benelux, and the Benelux is Belgium, the Netherlands, and Luxembourg. IBG Global LLC is composed of a group of 21 partners in key world capitals overseeing 62 staffed offices, providing access to over 200 markets. In business for over 15 years, our associates worldwide can provide market entry assistance to exporters the world over as well as a range of other services, which include foreign direct investment promotion, operating trade missions, and encouraging joint ventures to just name a few. However, the best way for me to explain IBG Global LLC and what we do is to share a story with you, a story that illustrates something we here in the Netherlands have accomplished recently for a US-based exporter. The company headquartered in Pennsylvania is an important North American player in the field of specialty plate, different types of stainless steel used in different industries. The company was producing some incidental sales in Western Europe, but felt there was far more potential. First push was toward finding an industrial agent with knowledge of the stainless steel market. That wasn't easy, but after we successfully completed the task of finding a competent industrial agent with knowledge of exactly that market, the stainless steel, and active in various international European markets, our client asked us to deliver sales support by assisting the newly signed agent in finding leads. We then applied our, our package service called Leads to Business, based on the effective outreach through LinkedIn. We managed to generate six leads within four months, equaling roughly 200,000 worth of sales, a number that exceeded the total net sales of the previous year. Within the framework of IBG Global LLC, our partners worldwide can provide this type of market entry assistance to any interested U.S. manufacturer, and we welcome your outreach. You can find us at ibgglobal.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. 
Without further ado, let me introduce Fred Boehner. Hello, Fred. Welcome to the podcast. Greetings, Betsy. It's great to be here. Thank you. Uh, we're so glad that you could be here. So here, I'm going to start out with kind of going back to the very beginning. I understand huh? that you grew up in New York City, but you've resided in Kansas City for many years. You want to tell us a little bit about the story about how that came to pass, New York to Kansas City? Well, I grew up actually in upstate New York and then moved oh. eventually through Syracuse University and down in New York City okay. and uh, was with Young Rubicam and I worked on a couple of uh, uh, big accounts, um, mm -hmm. Kentucky Fried Chicken and um, uh, one of the Colgate brands. And then they uh, bought an office in Kansas City and moved four of us out here and closed the shop within two years. And all of us stayed. None of us went back to New York City. Oh, okay. All right. That's good. That's cool. And you like it there, don't you? Oh, yes. It's wonderful. It's a good, kept, well-kept secret. Not many people really know much about it. I've, I've heard a lot of good things. So, yeah. so you publish a magazine called IB News Mag. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your publication and starting how how you began it and that sort of thing? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, I actually started with uh, a, a kind of a mimeograph sheet that I faxed to the presidents of international trade associations around the Midwest. Uh -huh. And um, I had happened to have Alan Greenspan's fax number. One month, I forgot to send it to him. <laughs> and the secretary called me and wanted to know where that uh, IB News Mag is, where where we had the uh, numbers on exports and imports. Oh, that's great. That's how it got started. And then we grew from there and eventually became an online magazine. Okay. Well, that, that's a great story. So um, tell us a little bit about the, you know, the contributors to the magazine and, and the news that y'all, uh, you know, like to report on. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, we have several associates that we work with. I have a senior associate uh, mm -hmm. who uh, was the head of international for the state of Pennsylvania and worked with a number of uh, manufacturers in the international development side. He's a big contributor, and he writes our uh, profiles of countries with practical information on how to do business in those countries. And he also writes a, a story or an article about the headlines from around the world uh, from different newspapers that, that many people wouldn't see here in the U.S. Uh, we also have a travel writer uh, because when we profile a country, we like to also accompany it with a travel pro pro profile in that particular country. Oh. And uh, she, she contributes monthly as well. And then we have other contributors at different places in the country. So we, um, uh, we've really kind of grown that stable, if you will, of people in, involved. Well, I mean, it's, it's really valuable information for exporters, obviously. Um, and, and what are some of the issues that y'all are especially concerned about today? Well, the issues for SMEs, and that's our primary focus, our only focus really is on small and medium sized uh, enterprise exporters, SMEEs, if you will. Um, aside from the bottleneck of the supply chain, uh, which is paramount in most of the 
SMEs that I speak with. Right. Um, and, and they've they've been finding ways around it, and uh, in, in whether it's reshoring or whether it's re-searching uh, you know, for other sources, uh, yes. using different ports, they've most of them have found ways around this. Right. But um, other issues that uh, SMEs face, one of the biggest ones is protection of their intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, most SMEs can't afford to really uh, file patents and not only file patents in other countries, but then also protect those patents. Uh, They just don't have the money to do it. So what happens is a lot of them use trademarks and other types of things to try to protect their property. And I say to them, well, what happens when they still, you know, um, uh, re-engineer your product and they said, well, we keep ahead of it technologically. We're always making improvements. And that's one of the ways they get around it, uh, is stay ahead of it, really. And uh, that contributes to sales in other countries. And, and, and it also just keeps innovation going. I mean, yes. uh, it's hard work. I know that's hard work to, to stay ahead of that curve, but... Uh, uh, you know, what a great way to innovate and, and, and keep it fresh, you know. And I think accompanying that, um, pricing is always an issue in other countries. Um, many of the SMEs don't really have a real understanding of what foreign competition is doing with pricing. Some oh. of them do, um, but many of them don't. So they're always in a quandary about how to price their products when they're exporting. And, um, but they find that out by trial and error for the most part. That's you know, right. what, what they're able to sell at what price and working through either distributors or sales reps. Exactly. That brings up another issue. Um, many SMEs begin uh, by working with one distributor in a country. Uh, they either meet them at a trade show or they've been approached by them through the website. Right. And, and they tend to give that distributor rights for the entire country, uh, which could be a mistake if it's a large country. They need to have more than one. Right. Um, so, But they like the idea of being able to sell a container and, and, and move it. Right. That's right. what it comes down to, selling it to the distributor. Exactly. Um, um, another one is that we run into a lot <laughs> is how they define made in the USA. Um, I've talked to different uh, 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 customers, if you will, or, or our readers, and uh, one in particular um, said, "Well, we we all of our product is made here in the U.S." And I begin to question them about, "Well, are all the components made here?" Right. Um, one in particular was in the Chicago area, and he told me that he makes a Secrail uh, belt to help relieve back pain, and he uh-huh. said, "All of ours is made here except." The label on our product says "Made in China," and I thought that was really hilarious. <laughs> that he has to have a label that comes from China. Oh <laughs> but my other than gosh. that, yeah. Um, but I think those are the main things uh, that we that we see when we're talking to uh, readers and SMEs around the around the country. Right. Do you think? that the fact that 
due to the supply chain, you know, difficulties right now, do you think there's going to be uh, a dramatic long-term change in where manufacturing is going to happen uh, as far as uh, raw materials and, and sourcing materials? you think a lot of it's going to move back to the U.S. or to uh, North America? Uh, I mean, are you seeing a trend, I guess is my question. I'm beginning to see that trend, Betsy. Um, many of the companies are reshoring for the components and supplies to yeah. avoid that that tr supply chain bottleneck that we've all right. known about, and, um, and and looking at work we haven't manufactured here, even though it may cost more, they would have better control, and they feel once they've started it that it's a better quality. So I think that trend will continue as yeah. we move ahead. Yeah. Well, the one of the biggest issues, of course, is the fact that uh, some of these shipping lines, and you're, we're talking about ocean, they are they're turning the containers around without export cargo. They're just trying to get them back quickly to Asia, mostly. And which is uh, reducing the capacity of export containers. Have, have you heard that from? Yes, absolutely. I've heard the fact that the uh, ocean carriers are controlling that situation and that uh, our exporters are not able to get a hold of some of those uh, empty containers so they can export their products. Um, I think that the the other issue relative to uh, the ocean uh, carriers is several years ago, they stopped supplying uh, chassis. They wow. always, in the past, had supplied chassis. That really put a cramp on, on some of the exporters, and they've had to set up po chassis pools and other ways of finding chassis uh, to get their goods onto a truck and into yeah. whatever destination they're going to. Well, it's so that's so an issue as well. Oh, yeah, it's crazy because when I started in the steamship business uh, in the 80s, I mean, that was the selling point of the steamship carriers. We give you, you know, full door-to-door -door service and all that. Well, it's just changed so much. Yeah, it um, really has. But uh, It really what, has. What about air freight and, and, and shipping by air? Have, have your... Uh, customers and readers commented on if that's working fairly well or if that's also uh, difficult? Well, as long as they're not shipping by containers, they seem to embrace it because uh, the way the rates have been going, uh, when we've checked with shipping companies, uh, freight forwarders and custom house brokers, yeah. uh, they're coming up with rates that are similar to ocean and a little bit more, but yeah. um, uh, but they're finding that that's another way of getting their, their goods yeah. and their products into the U.S. So more of them are going to air shipments. Uh, but when it comes to large items, of course, and container loads, they tend to stick with ocean. Yeah, I mean, there's just some products that, that don't fit shipping by air. So 
Uh, right. But it's it's pretty crazy when air freight rates are starting to compete with ocean freight rates. Yes, so, it is. You know, things are a little topsy-turvy. Um, is there a way you can explain uh, how important the SME export is to the U.S. economy? I mean, how big it is. I tried to get some figures from the Department of Commerce. I had difficulty reading some of their reports, but do you have a yes. way of explaining that? Well, of course, 98% of the exports are done by SMEs. Um, wow. In terms of dollars, it's, you know, maybe 35, 40%. Yeah. But the amount that they ship is just staggering. Wow. So it's they're an important component of of our export process, working with SMEs and and getting them to um, getting them up to speed to how to do it and getting it done the right way. Oh wow! Yeah, I see. I really wanted people to to hear that because yeah. I don't and 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 the one of the points is that and one of the purposes of of this podcast is to let manufacturers know that you can export and sometimes uh u.s companies think it's just going to be so uh cumbersome but really there's so many uh services and resources and it's it's not uncommon to export it's a it's it can be become a normal part of your business kind of the little message I want to get out there. Uh, and that's true. With with 40 million uh, small businesses in the U.S., there's still an untapped market there to get companies, manufacturers to export. And I think a part of that is they don't know what their resources are that are available. Right. Uh, they think, oh, it's going to be a lot of paperwork. I'm going to have to hire people for it. And it's yeah. just going to take a lot of time. And is it worth the money when I'm doing good sales here in the U.S.? Right. Um, so those those are some of the um, some of the bottlenecks, if you will, for, for getting companies into the export market. Right. Right. And and the purpose of your magazine and, and one of the purposes of my podcast is to get that message out that it really is something that anybody can do. So correct. And, and what we try to we, what we try to do in that regard, Betsy, is we always have a feature article about a company that's faced some particular issue that may be common to others that don't know how to do it. And um, by explaining how a company has been successful in working with uh, intellectual property or tariffs or whatever it might be or shipping, uh, it would give them some um, give them knowledge about how they can do it themselves. That's great. That's really great. Which uh, takes us into uh, our next topic, which is your other business, Intermark Three. And uh, so I thought maybe you could talk about that a little bit and, and the services that you provide there. Sure. Uh, when we started it, uh, actually, in 1990, that was our purpose to work with SMEs. 
And um, at the time, we felt that business development and business intelligence were, were very important. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the services that we offer in that regard, uh, we work with them in terms of marketing and sales strategies. Um, we do uh, help them with web content if it needs to be done for for uh, overseas markets. Um, we work with them with uh, helping them uh, organize trade shows because they're maybe not as familiar with how to do a, a stand in a trade show overseas versus a booth here and that they need appointments as opposed to just walk in traffic, so to speak. Um, we get involved with special events. We've done a lot of um, um, business-to-business meetings where companies can meet with other companies and find out how they do it. One example is um, a, a couple of years ago, we worked with a Canadian consulate and they brought in health and, and uh, health and human health um, companies uh, from the Western provinces to meet with U.S. companies. Mm-hmm. And we had uh, one-on-one meetings set up for them. Um, so we try to get involved in that as well. Um, we have a lot of connections worldwide. And because I served on the um, industry uh, trade industry trade and uh, commission uh, with the uh, Department of Commerce, I made a lot of connections that way as well. Oh. And that was for small, small and medium-sized companies. Right. And another oh, an issue I'd like to bring up is one that I fight with every day. Uh, SBA has defined a small business as with 500 employees or fewer. And uh, it's it's so out of touch with the reality of what a small business is. Yeah. Most of the small businesses I talk to, they have maybe 25, 30 employees. Right. Um, they're they're not in touch with with reality, if you will. Uh, yeah. I think they've got the medium sized companies uh, built into it too much, so they yeah. don't have a category for this really small for the small business, which you I and, guess you could call them uh, micro businesses in a way. Sure. Um, but the European Union uh, has different classifications. They've they've refined it better. Um, they've narrowed it down to what they consider consider small to medium sized companies are uh, sales of two hundred twenty five million um, or less. And so they've got a different way of classifying them and it would it would really behoove the US to be able to look at that method of classifying yeah. small business. And if they did come up with a a more refined classification for really small businesses as you've defined it how could that benefit those companies what what do you see would happen if that changed well i i think i think one of the things is that uh when for example when when we had the ppe and stimulus programs mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the medium-sized companies with uh, large legal staffs and strong banking connections <laughs> gobbled up much of that money and the small right. companies were trying to figure out how to do it yes. if we had a program that uh, you know specified for smaller companies here's here's the kind of financial help that you can get right or right. Um, here are some of the programs that are available to you right um I think they tried to do that, but uh, it's the medium-sized companies, which are closer, I would say, of employees of 250 or more, 
are, are gobbling up much of that. Interesting. Uh, that's, that's an interesting uh, uh, point to make. Now, there's these, and you're, I'm sure you're referring to this, there are these state grants. They're, they're grants from the U.S. government that are uh, uh, implemented through the states. And those, of course, are open to these small, really small companies. But yes, the, say, the step the step grants that you're grant. referring to. Yeah, 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 step grants, and that's an important component for small companies. Right. And a lot of the exporters who are already doing business in overseas countries have really uh, attached themselves to those step grants. And they're making use of them for trade shows um, and exactly. overseas meetings and things like that. It's yeah. been an important component. Everyone I talk to uh, that are current that are current exporters have utilized those step grants to the maximum. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, for, on behalf of clients of my company, we've we've done the same thing, and they're really valuable. But you know, there's only uh, there's limited amount out there but right. we do want people to be aware of that so of course last year last year when we had the pandemic at, at full rage uh the step money was not being used so many of the states had leftover money that's good. um I, and i think they were trying to figure out how to use it yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, they wanted, didn't want to give it back to the SBA, but they wanted to hold it in reserve for companies that needed it this year. Right, right. Well, you know, there were the virtual uh, trade shows, so hopefully companies got to use it for that kind of thing. I don't know, but... Yes, correct. But, but there, you know, we got to keep, keep uh, utilizing it for, on behalf of our clients so that money doesn't go away. So right, that, exactly. Um, I wanted to ask you um, your business, Intermark Three. Do you focus on any particular overseas markets, or it's more general than that? No, it's more general because here, especially here in the middle of the country, um, you can't specialize too much. Yeah. Um, a lot of the exporters are are just you know, trying to figure out what countries to, to target. Right. Um, and so we don't focus in any particular area or country at all. Um, right. Some of them, you know, want to do business in the European Union. Others want to do business in Australia uh, because of the language uh, similarity. Um, and then they then they run into situations where the shipping costs are so high that they, they are out overpriced when they get there but right. you know they find a way of of, of of the distributors if they're working with a distributor and he knows what he's doing right. he can guide them in terms of the pricing exactly exactly yeah um speaking since you brought up the midwest and where a lot of the companies you work with uh how do they get around the disadvantage of of the freight cost to the coast or well i think a, a lot of them a lot of them have figured out how to do that mm -hmm. um uh, they've they've targeted ports that are closer mm -hmm. um they have freight rates on trucking uh to get get it there it it does add to the cost there's sure. no doubt about that 
but they seem to have found ways of getting the product uh, to the ships and to the um, overseas companies. Um, I haven't heard too much about that from companies um, other than that whole pricing issue. Uh, how do we price it so that we're competitive in that market? Right. Um, and a lot of that, they they fall back on looking at the shipping costs, getting it from the Midwest to a port on either the East Coast or the West Coast for um, uh, for shipment overseas. Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting, interesting. Well, you know, as more manufacturing may move back to the this country from markets like China and India because of the supply chain. Uh, phenomenon you know it may there just may be more manufacturing in in these your part of the country uh i wouldn't be surprised yes oh absolutely and that's a good stimulus to to um increase manufacturing here in the midwest there are so many small companies that are uh, smaller smaller communities around the Midwest that are already manufacturing. Uh, but I think uh, this can be uh, a boost to them to increase what they're doing, and especially as, as it relates to supplying bigger companies. Exactly. Uh, there are a lot of, in this area, there are a lot of suppliers that work with the automotive industry. Mm-hmm. And they are uh, in, you know, constantly trying to improve their, their products, their components, and meet the pricing requirements of the right. motor companies. Uh, but that's just aviation is another one. In uh-huh. Wichita, Kansas, we have several hundred suppliers uh, that work with the aviation industry. So it's, it's, it's a, really a strong, um, strong component of manufacturing. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Well, this is the part of the podcast where we, uh, where you share some of your stories uh, from your experience, because we love storytelling here. So absolutely. So we'd love to hear some of your stories. Okay. Um, One in particular, we were working with a, a construction management company here in the Midwest, and they were approached by a um, a company, a construction company in Basra, uh, in Iraq. And mm-hmm. uh, this company supposedly had built a hospital. They wanted to build schools, and they wanted the management technique of this company here. Mm-hmm. But it was through a middle person in the in Dubai. Mm-hmm. So the company here didn't have any knowledge of who they were. And uh, so they asked us to investigate, which we did. And we found out that, yes, it seems to be a reliable company. Um, But I wasn't quite satisfied with that. So I contacted the former ambassador to Iraq and Turkey uh, because they all use Turkish builders in uh, in the Middle East. And uh, his comment was, if if the Iraqi Kurds do this oil deal with Turkey and Baghdad doesn't like it, uh, you may want to rethink your strategy. Oh, so I wow. reported reported back to the CEO of a construction company here, and he said, "You just saved me a lot of time and a lot of money by doing yes. it this way." Oh wow! So that's 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 one in particular. Uh-huh. Uh, there are so many I don't even know where to begin with them, but. Uh-huh. Uh, um, when we talk to uh, manufacturers for our magazine, 
they always come up with interesting. I, I've already mentioned the thing about the label that yeah. was made in China, <laughs> and that was a particular uh, interesting one. Uh-huh. Um, we did it. We did an issue on a uh, bottling and canning company in Nebraska, and they target small small water bottling companies around the world and and brewing companies. Huh. And um, I, I was just happened to stop by a friend to see a friend of mine in a particular uh, tavern here, and they told me that they use this company. And they were very attentive to uh, the needs and how to how to uh, really uh, shape that system to to fit their needs. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of flexibility in small companies too. That's another important thing. Yes, um, definitely. Um, um, I, I don't know if I've got any other real good stories or not, but uh, well, uh, when, uh, we're facing when, them every day. Yeah, no, uh, one, you kind of bring up something interesting that I have I've found over my career since the internet has become, you know, the behemoth that it is. You know, everybody receives these crazy spam messages, but there's some very clever people out there that, in the world that can make themselves look like legitimate businesses, but they're not. So, Oh uh, yes. You know, I do have a story. I do have a story on that. Yeah, please. Pretty closely related. A few years ago, um, we worked with a uh, organization called Futuralia, which is out of France with a chamber of commerce there. And they hold business to business meetings in different cities of the world. They'd never been to the U.S. We got them to come to Kansas City. They brought uh, maybe 30 or so companies and 1,000 delegates into yeah. into this area to have these one-on-one meetings. Yeah. And um, the, the day before the meeting started, I was doing a lot of the marketing for it. I had a call from uh, Fox Business at 6 o'clock in the morning saying, we understand that the Iranians are coming to Kansas City to do business here. And I said, whoa, wait a minute now. <laughs> um, we, the, what had happened was they did a, a webcast, uh, uh, kind of a media conference webcast, saying uh-huh. that they were coming to Kansas City to do business here in the, in the Midwest. Um, so I checked with the Department of State, and they had already granted them the visas and um, you mean these, uh, really they never, were, these were really Iranian? They really were Iranians that wanted yes. to go? Oh, yes, right. And they apparently they got into the U.S., but they never showed up at our conference. Um, and um, oh, and some of the some of the media were very um, persistent and checking that out. One AP, for example, went yeah. to the hotel where all the delegates were staying and checked the rosters of the delegates to make sure that there weren't any Iranians. And once the media got to where we were doing this and they saw the scope of what it was, uh, they gave us a lot of publicity, uh, good publicity. <laughs> good. And I thought, I should have I should have leaked that information three weeks early. <laughs> <laughs> that is so crazy! Oh man, that's wild. Well, I you know I have 
over the years just seen so many uh, bogus, uh, you know, inquiries for business. And it takes a little time for, you know, for beginners to read through the lot, you know, read through it and, and to be able to tell which ones are bogus, but it's, it's right. Very true. Yeah. You know, it takes time. Yeah. It takes time because you have a lot of, a uh, lot of junk calls, spam calls and emails yeah. in particular offering product or, or services. And uh, it's, if, if, if the company's not astute, they could fall into that trap. Exactly. But most companies, I think, have figured out how to sift through some of that kind yeah. of spam. Yeah, yeah. I don't see that as a real concern for most of the SMEs that we, we've talked to and we deal with. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, um, listen, this has been such a great conversation, Fred. I'm really grateful that you joined us today and, and shared your stories. I I think it's really interesting and I and I'm I'm so glad that our listeners will become more aware and in tune to the SME market so thank you very much. Well, if anybody wants to uh subscribe to our magazine there's no cost. All they uh, have to do is go to our website. Absolutely. Um, I'm glad you said that. We're going to post on this episode page a link Okay to the, the to the website so sure uh, yeah, absolutely so, so definitely we'll make it uh available so that people can get in touch and join and so i'm glad you brought that up we definitely will do and Betsy, i've really appreciated the questions that you've posed they're, they're intriguing and they're very intrusive so uh, thank you okay. very much Oh, you're so welcome. Uh, and I just want to say to our listeners, you know, thank you for joining us today. We'd love to get a conversation going about this episode, as well as, uh, you know, general discussions about exporting. That's what we're here for. So uh, please reach out to me on exportstoriespodcast.com. That's where we have all the current and past podcasts available to listen to. And you can ask us questions or post comments on the episode page. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. We are creating a community of exporters here, so please let your voice be heard. So thanks again, and thank you again, Fred. It was great well, You're very you. welcome, Betsy. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Very good. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to Export Stories. Perhaps you have a good export story that you would like to share with us or a comment about today's podcast. You can send your ideas and comments to our website at exportstoriespodcast.com or to Betsy Olam on LinkedIn. Subscribe to our newsletter at exportstoriespodcast.com so we can alert you of upcoming episodes and share resources with you. We're building a community of export storytellers, so please share this podcast with your friends who have interest in exporting. 